We want to um, share with you from the Word of God this morning. Um, and, you know, the Bible has taken on such different dimensions for me since the time that Liz and I lived in Africa for a, a year and, and the year we spent in Malawi. There are texts that just before I never really noticed that now sort of jump out at me because of our seeing the Bible through the eyes of people who live in a way that's almost right out of Scripture. And one of those is the texts that have to do with wells. I never spent much time thinking about wells until we lived over in Africa and realized that they are just an essential part of the life of people, maybe the most essential thing. And so like this text that we heard the beginning of, the famous text in John chapter 4 of the woman at the well, all of a sudden that text takes on a whole new dimension for me. Well, a few months ago, Liz and I were doing our morning devotion, and we happened to be reading in Genesis, and I came across this chapter, Genesis 26, dealing with Isaac, and it talks about Isaac and his men settling into this area and the importance of wells and the digging of wells. It's a text I'd never really paid attention to, but it jumped out at me, and I believe that this text has so much more to do with uh, not just about providing water, but about providing life. And so I want to share it with you this morning. Would you pray with me? God, we give you thanks for your word, for your word is a living word that fills us to overflowing with good news and with life. So fill us this morning, Lord, whatever hindrances and distractions we may have brought with us to this place, we pray that you would just remove them so we can hear you speak in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is from Genesis chapter 26, beginning at verse 17 through 22. So Isaac departed from there, and he camped in the valley of Gerar, and he settled there. Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of his father Abraham, for the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham, and he gave them the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley, and they found there a well of spring water, the herders of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herders, saying, The water is ours. So he called that well Esek, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that one also. So he called it Sitna. He moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called it Rehoboth saying, now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. This is the word of the Lord. So, <clears throat> we left the United States on December the 31st, 2007, and we landed in Africa on January 1st, 2008. But that trip wasn't just about 
changing a year. It was about changing a whole way of thinking about the world. I mean, we landed in, we went from the wealthiest country that has ever existed on planet Earth, and we found ourselves plopped down in the poorest country on planet Earth today, and everything was different. We drive cars, they walk. We text, they chat. We have more than enough to eat. They have often not anything to eat. We live in big houses. They live in houses that are as big as the smallest room in some of our houses. We value privacy. They value community. We save and we sometimes hoard. They share openly. We plan ahead. They survive one day at a time. We agonize over whether or not our kids are going to make the team. They agonize over whether or not their kids are going to live to be age three. It is a very different world. But one of the things that we noticed immediately is that we drink from taps, but when you get out into the rural areas, they drink from wells. They walk and carry water and bring it back to their homes for their daily supply of water. And it creates an incredibly different way of life. And so if they don't have a well or the well is far away, it totally changes the way that they think. When we go into villages and we ask people, you know, what are your needs? Inevitably, the number one concern that people say is we need access to clean and safe water. We need a well. And so Villages in Partnership has been about providing wells. We have uh, brought in machinery to dig 20 deep boreholes in these 26 villages that we serve now. Plus, there have been a lot of other wells that have been been rehabilitated, so there's over 30 new water sources for people. And when a well comes into a village, it changes people's lives. I will never forget the trip in 2013. It was the trip that Gail and Phil Anderson and their two children, John and Nicole, came on. And on that particular trip, we put in one of these deep boreholes in the village of Mtambo. Now, Mtambo Village had never had a well. They were getting their water either out of an open stream, out of an open source, which often made people sick, or they had to walk miles to the closest safe water in the next village. They never had a well. And we dug one of these deep wells, and we capped it off, and we put the pump on it, and pumped the first bucket of clean water that had ever come out in the middle of that village. And we happened to be standing there when this happened, and I was next to my wife, and my wife had a video camera, and she captured this moment when they got the very first bucket of water. And Gail was there, you'll see her. And I want to just show you this clip. the sky remains cloudless the rains are coming God is pouring his blessings on us all that pregnant young mother was so excited she jumped out of the crowd and poured the bucket of water over her head her life had just been changed instead of having to walk miles so that her little baby would have clean water to drink it was right there in her front yard 
wells change people's lives. And so now when I read the Bible and I hear about wells, I pay a lot more attention to those texts. And so I stumbled across this text in Genesis chapter 26 about the digging of these wells and the naming of the wells and how important they were in order for the people to live in that particular place. And God has sort of shared something with me through this story, and I want to share it with you today. Three different wells are named here. Esek, Sitna, and Rehoboth. And those three different names reveal very significant things about life. And it causes me to question, which well am I drinking from? Which well are we drinking from? And which well do we want to create? Isek means dispute or contention, an argument. They name it Isek because they happen to dig that well by hand in the land owned by the herders of Gerar, the land where they are now settling. And so a dispute breaks out once they find this clean water source. And the dispute is simply this. The herders of Gerar say, this well and its water is ours because this is our land. But the men, Isaac's men, say, wait a minute. We found this water source. We dug this well. Do you know how hard it is to dig a well by hand, to go down 30 feet, maybe 40 feet, to get down to that clean water by hand? I mean, it is back-breaking work. Isaac and his men did all that hard work. They're the ones who found the water, so they say, this well is ours. And so they're arguing about this. They're disputing, and that's why they named it Esek. You know, our animals should go first. No, let us go first. We got here, it's our well, and back and forth, back and forth. All of that arguing and quarreling over whose water it is and whose well it is kind of gets on their nerves. And so they move on and they dig a second well. This one they name Sitna. If Isak is quarreling or disputing, Sitna is now opposition and contention. Things have moved. They're not just arguing. Now they're pushing and shoving, elbowing people out of the way, fistfights breaking out right there at the well. My cattle got here first. This is our well. No, this is mine. Hey, buddy, get out of here. Who invited you here in the first place? This is all about me. You know, we spend a lot of time drinking from Isak and Sitna in the Western world because it's all about competition, isn't it? It's all about winning. It's all about being first. I don't know about here in Dallas, but in New Jersey, it starts early in the morning on the New Jersey Turnpike. I mean, you see that truck and you've got to get past that and you're changing lanes and you're trying to get around and you know you have just about a car's length and you cut it. Do you do that here? Does that, does that happen here? Is that, maybe that's just a Jersey thing. They call it road. You know, it's not just out on the highways though. We do the same thing in the supermarket or a Walmart. You know, you, you sort of 
sizing up which line is going a little bit faster and you kind of jockey for position. Sometimes I kind of you know, hedge my bets and I stay in between two lines to see what, or I'll send my wife down to one and I'll stay in the other and then whoever gets to the cashier, we quickly like bring our card in. I always want to beat that little old lady. There's always some little old lady who seems to intuitively know the faster line. I say, I got to get out to my car. You know, we're competing for five seconds of time to get out of the shop so we can get on to the next thing. We take that way of life with us everywhere we go. It's not just about driving, it's not just about shopping, but it's in the workplace and we bring it into our family life and then we begin to offer our children drinks from that same well, don't we? Where I come from, people jockey for position for preschools. If you don't get your kid into the right preschool, they won't be smart enough when they get to kindergarten. And if they don't do good in kindergarten, they won't get into the right prep school. If they don't get to the prep school, they won't get to the Ivy. And if they don't get the Ivy, they won't get the job. And oh my gosh. And so the kids feel this stress and tension that the parents are putting on them to compete, to get that better place on the right travel team or whatever it is. My secretary said she went out on Black Friday a few years ago, and she went out to buy one thing at the Best Buy, but there was a better sale on portable DVD players. Now, she didn't want a portable DVD player, but so many people were at the table with them. She got in there, and she started grabbing for hers, and she said, I got one. I was so excited, but I, I checked. I didn't even want it, but it's, you know, it just becomes part of our DNA, and we get caught up in it, and everything comes becomes about who wins, who loses, pushing someone else out of the way. And we find ourselves arguing and disputing and sometimes fighting because we suspect that there's a scarcity. And if I don't get mine, somebody else will get it ahead of me. And when I get it, I hoard it and I keep it so somebody else doesn't come and take it. That's what happens when we drink from Esek and Sitna every single day. Now, I understand competition is not a bad thing. Competition, in most cases, is a good thing. But if that's all that our life is about, something begins to happen to us spiritually. Something begins to shrivel in our souls. My favorite Old Testament scholar, Walter Brueggemann, he writes, people who think their lives consist of struggling to get more and more can never slow down because they won't ever have enough. We have to have more and more, and this insatiable desire destroys us. It is a belief that makes us greedy, mean, and unneighborly. The belief that everything in life has to be fought for, argued over, contended for, and competed for makes us greedy, mean, and unneighborly. And friends, it also makes us sick, physically sick, 
Our marriages, instead of being partnerships, become power struggles because we're competing with our spouse for what we believe to be scarce time to do the things that we want to do or get our own way. Our children, rather than competing for a spot on the team, find themselves in the office of a psychiatrist because they need psychosomatic drugs to deal with their anxiety and their depression that has been hoisted upon them from being in a society that only values competition rather than seeing people's basic worth. When we only drink from Isek and Sitna, perhaps our net worth gets bigger and bigger, but our perspective on life becomes smaller and smaller because our relationships become fewer and fewer. We see everybody as an enemy rather than as a neighbor. But the text tells us there is another well. Isaac and his men, rather than staying there and fighting day after day with the herders of Gerar, move on and they dig a third well. The well that they call Rehoboth, which means room or space. Life at Rehoboth well is completely different than the life at Esek and Sitna. At Esek and Sitna, people are pushing and shoving and elbowing others out of their way. At Rehoboth, there's room. There's space. People stop and they chat. They get to know each other a little bit. Oh, you go first today. No, 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 that's okay. You go first. At the well of Rehoboth, people's stress level comes way down. The joy returns. People find life at Rehoboth rather than strife. Because, you see, Rehoboth is the well of grace. And grace, friends, is what makes life worth living. Competition has its place, striving for excellence. But if we don't live under the understanding that the gifts that we have, all that we have, has come to us as a gift of grace, undeserved, unconditional love from God, then our world becomes such a small place and we argue over our little tiny piece of turf. Richard Rohr is a Roman Catholic mystic author. And he writes about this. He says that the ego prefers this worldview of scarcity or quid pro quo where only the clever can win. It's an old, tired, win-lose scenario, but it seems to be in our cultural hard drive. And because of that, the gospel of grace, which is really at the core of our identity, goes neglected. And it takes much more imagination and instills a new win-win scenario in our psyche. As long as we remain inside of the old way of thinking, Christianity will never rise to the mystical banquet that Jesus
The mystical banquet that Jesus intended is what we drink from at Rehoboth, where there's plenty for all and room for all. Everyone has a place at Rehoboth. Instead of excluding, people are welcomed. One of the greatest things for me about our work in Malawi has not been the things we've been able to do in order to improve the lives of some of the most desperately poor people in the world. The blessing for me has been what I have received from them in an understanding of what grace is really all about. To be in community and relationship with people who literally have nothing, nothing, no material value, no income, nothing, and yet to be in community with people who have everything, who overflow with joy, has changed my perspective on my own sense of scarcity or lack or want, because I realize how impoverished I really am when I compare myself to the joy that my friends have. They have an understanding of Rehoboth, their willingness to share, to build community, to welcome the stranger, absolutely dwarfs anything I'd ever experienced in my life here. One of the ways that we saw this so powerfully was two years ago, we did at that time take on um, dis dis distributing bags of food for people after they experienced drought. They had no food, they didn't have anything to eat, and so VIP said, we're going to step in and we're gonna distribute food. We distributed bags of food to 1,500 families over three different months. And some people from our, our team were there while they were distributing the food to these 1,500, the most vulnerable, I mean, of the, all these vulnerable people, these were the widows, the child-headed households, the orphans, the people who were at the bottom of the bottom were getting, the ones getting these bags of food. But the other people in the villages were crowding around while they were distributing this, all of them hungry. And we said, what about all these other people? And our partner said, don't worry. These people who are getting the bags will take them back to their home and they will share with all of their neighbors. The poorest people getting a bag of food to keep them alive will take some and give it to the others. Wouldn't you like to live with that kind of openness, that kind of generosity? We can. When we drink from Rehoboth, when we come to this place and we're reminded of the incredible grace of our Lord, it changes the way we look at one another in our lives. Are you stressed out? Are you tired? Are you burned out? Are you sick of elbowing and pushing your way? Trying to grab a little more of what seems like a shrinking pot. Friends, it's time to be reminded that we don't have to stay at Esek and sit. <laughs> We're welcomed at Rehoboth. That's where I want to drink from. That's the well I want to build. 
love for you to join me there. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you so much for this incredible community of grace and goodness. We thank you, God, for the gift of your Holy Spirit poured out upon Canyon Creek Presbyterian Church, the way you've sustained this congregation, God, and the way you're sustaining her. We thank you for their heart for the poor, their love for the disenfranchised, that this congregation in the middle of the great state of Texas would have a heart to care for people who live on the other side of the world, the continent of Africa. God, we ask that you would continue to pour out your grace, unlimited grace, God, upon this church. We pray for Andy as he leads this congregation. We pray for the elders and deacons, the members of the staff, all of those people, God, who are serving you, that they would all drink deeply from Rehoboth and their spirits would be renewed and restored. They would be filled to overflowing with your goodness and your grace so they could go out and share that with their children, with the children of this church, that something new and something powerful would just move through this congregation, God, that the well of your grace, the well of your goodness, the well of Christ's love would just flow and fill to overflowing. God, for those who came here this morning feeling just tired, tired of fighting and scraping and scratching, God, I pray you would give them peace, deep, deep, lasting peace. pray this in the name of Jesus, the source of living water.